Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada, and today with Truth and Life Today and Dr. John Newfeld, and uh, we're going to be continuing to answer some of the questions that the viewers and listeners have sent in uh, regarding the Bible and about Christian life. But just before we begin, just a reminder that you can see us every week on backtothebible.ca, on iTunes, on YouTube, and on Facebook. So Dr. John, it's great to have you here again today. Great to be here. We have some great questions, and, and one, the first one we're going to talk about is in respect to worship. And uh, it's, it's an interesting question. I guess, i got to be honest, I hadn't heard this question before, but others have that we talked, about, uh, talked to in the office. So let me just mention it to you here. It says, hello, Dr. Neufeld. I have a question. I've heard many Christians mention that Satan was leading worship in heaven before he was cast out, and that's the reason why he controls the music industry today. I've searched the Bible, and as I'm not able to find a related scripture, could you please direct me to a passage or clarify this for me? Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't even direct you to a passage. So if you haven't heard about it, I haven't heard about it either. So I actually don't know. And, and even if there were such a passage in scripture, that still doesn't say anything in terms of Satan directing you know, music, the industry today. I, I would say this about music. I mean, music expresses often what's in our hearts. And there's something about music that speaks deeply to our own souls. Um, however, like everything else in God's creation, it's all been touched by the fall. And so music, as well as everything else in life, has been touched, twisted, and turned sideways by the fall. And so we have this shattered image of what music can and should be. And, and so we sometimes have today, as we, we do, you know, sexual expressions in worship which are unclean. Uh, we have all sorts of other things that are there that should not be there. And that's just the world that we live in. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, we've had the opportunity to worship together and to worship in a number of different places together. We, we know a number of people that are worship pastors yeah. and uh, just uh, musical artists, and they do an incredible job. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about worship. And I know you enjoy the experience of worship. I've, I've noted that when we've been at conferences or whatever, you enjoy engaging in worship. Yeah. What do you think worship needs to be looking like for us today? Yeah, I, that's such a big question, isn't it? I mean, because there's been so much disagreement about what worship should be and what it shouldn't be. And so, you know, I'd hate to be a worship pastor, by the way. <laughs> it just seems like you're in a no-win situation no matter what you do. I would think from my vantage point, I think about three things, and they're not necessarily been in the order that of most importance, but one of the things is I think that when we worship together, it should be singable. I know that seems like a small point, mm -hmm. but you know, we fought a reformation over bringing common congregational worship back to the laity that by the time of the reformation, it had disappeared. You'd go to church and you'd never participate. And so now when we bring worship back so that people are singing together, we need to sing stuff that we can sing. And Ben, I would even go so far as to say, I think that the decibel level should be on a level where we can hear each other singing so that it sounds like we're participating together. So singability to me is, is an issue. Uh, I think now on a more serious note, I think it's also the issue of theology. We ought to be very careful, and, and I would argue that we ought to provide for worship pastors and those leading worship theological training so that they can identify what's biblical and what's not 
And we should just start culling out all of the stuff that has biblical problems to it and simply remove it. And the third thing, and I don't know whether this is the right word to use, but it's the word liturgy. And I know for a lot of people that's, you know, that's an anathema word, but we talk about, you know, the order of service, but that's just liturgy. And liturgy simply means the order in which we do things. I'm going to argue that the worship part ought to have a liturgical format to it. And what I'm arguing for is that somewhere in our worship, we ought to be repeating the gospel. So we ought to have songs that we sing that offer praise, adoration, and glory to God who created us and of him who sent his son. We ought to have time in our worship services that allow for the confession of sin and the recognition that we have sinned before God and that there ought to be time for confession of sin. And I think that there ought to be a time in which we talk about absolution. In other words, having confessed our sins together, we ought to sing about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we have this assurance that through his blood our sins really are removed and we ought to be bringing God's people back to the assurance of him. I mean, I sat under a worship uh, pastor for some time who used to say for every one look that you have at yourself and at your own sins, have 10 looks at the cross. And somewhere in our worship, we ought to be helping people to do that. I think also there ought to be time in worship in which we not only confess our sins, but we ought to confess the great truths of the Christian faith. I mean, sometimes I know churches have done that by simply confessing creeds together or a, you know, or something of that together. And, and then there ought to be a time of just singing of our commitment to the Lord, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think all of those elements should be there and we should help worship pastors to try to think about the flow of the service so that those elements are expressed. So, I mean, that's a lot, yeah. but, but I think that's some of what I think I'm looking for when I look for a worship service. You know, I'm intrigued, I'm not surprised, but I'm intrigued by your answer because nothing that you referenced had anything to do with style of worship. It's all about substance. Yeah, you know what I, I've said before, uh, I can't stand sitar music, for instance, <laughs> but if sitar music spoke to the souls of the people that we were trying to reach, bring me some more of those sitars. I, to me, the style issue is just the most irrelevant issue. We spend so much time arguing about that. Yeah. And it tells us that we've gotten our eyes off the cross and off the gospel. Yeah. So, you know, for me, this, this is something that, you know, styles come, styles go, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I read a book uh, quite a while ago now that left an impression in respect to worship, and it was written by C.S. Lewis, who talked about the very fact that he, he so appreciated the Church of England in the day because of its liturgy. He knew exactly what was going to happen so he could concentrate upon his walk and his journey with God without distraction. Do we have, or are we a little bit guilty of providing worship that's distracting people away from their faith? Yeah, I, I remember uh, reading a book some time ago. It's called uh, All Creativity Makes a Dull Church. And so we're just trying to be so creative and everyone's trying to reinvent the church for another generation. And I think we're losing the historic roots of our worship. And perhaps we ought to study more about the ancient liturgy of the church. And, and I'm not talking about becoming a Catholic here, yeah. but I'm thinking that there are certain things that ought to be a part and parcel of what we do when we worship together. And so Lewis is communicating there's an expectancy that comes. Yeah. 
So the very thing that I've been talking about, an expectancy of a joint confession of sins together, an expectancy that we will sing the gospel back to each other. So those things become an expected part, and it continually reaffirms in me that the nature of the gospel, and I think Lewis is right. So I I would say to, to worship pastors, Try not to reinvent the church. Try to root the church in some of our ancient practices and give every generation of believers the idea that we're not the first generation, but we're in fact carrying on. We have uh, incredible musicians in our churches today, some, some spectacular musicians, uh, people that are so gifted, and, uh, 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 and particularly in, in vocals. And, and much of the worship music, I think, is, is spectacular. But I want to come back really quickly to something you mentioned before. We seem to, and maybe unwittingly so, uh, have discounted participation in worship, or we're seeing less. Of, I hear it all the time. Congregations aren't singing. Men aren't singing. Uh, you don't hear the congregation anymore. Uh, is that an issue, and, and should we be trying to address it? Yeah, in fact, I think you put your finger on it, Ben. I think what's happened is because we have so many gifted musicians that what they'll do is, you know, they'll have a bridge in between stuff and so the guitars are just going and and everyone's just standing there and watching a performance band performing. And there's a great difference between going to a performance and being led into worship. So also, let me just talk about how sometimes worship leaders sing. And so they'll sing, you know, maybe a, an interesting, you know, bridge, or they'll do something else in, with their voices because they can. Yeah. But what are the rest of us supposed to do? So we're watching their giftedness, but we're not being invited into the heart of worship. So sometimes the greatest danger that can happen to a worship leader is that he's got a good voice or she's got a good voice yeah. and can carry the stuff by herself or by himself. And I would say, try not to do that and always be asking yourself, what is leading to greater congregational participation so that you know, God's people are led into the heart of worship, not saying, wow, we've got a great band on a Sunday morning. Yeah. See, that's the wrong idea. But Ben, having said that, I think it's okay to have a band, let's say, play a number that we all watch. Sure. That's great, you know, let that happen. But I think that we ought to have a high expectation of congregational involvement and where that's not happening, what are the changes that we need to make to have that happen? So that's why I talk about, you know, even volume and and all of the other stuff that happened. I think that's that's an issue today. Yeah, and again, it's it's not an issue of musicality. It's not an issue of giftedness. It's striving to do what we're trying to do, and that's lead people into worship. And, And if you were to define that for me, What does that mean? What does it mean to lead someone into worship? You know, typically we talk about a worship service in which we have, you know, uh, the singing and the adoration of God and then the listening to the Word of God. So when we listen to the Word of God, we sit back and we drink in. But when we participate in the worship, we sit forward and we engage in. So one invites us to listen, be more passive. The other invites us to be more active. Mm-hmm. And until we get those two elements, I think that's what we're missing. Um, so I, I think that can be there. Now, I, you know, there are a lot of churches that practice, let's say, the Lord's table as a part of that worship service. So when I talked about confession of sin and then the gospel, often they will at that point in time share the table. 
So, you know, you're, you know I, I have this deep understanding of what Christ has done for me on the cross. And on the basis of that understanding, come to the table. So that's part of worship as well. So you're looking to integrate people's active involvement in this glorification of God, in this celebration of God among us. So if anything, that's what worship is, celebrating the presence of God and being actively called to do it together. Great. Thanks so much, Dr. John, for uh, the answer to that question today and our discussion on worship. And uh, we're going to look forward to, throughout the rest of this month, talking about issues of the role of men and women, uh, things about evangelism, uh, baby dedications, and the like. A lot of wonderful questions that we're hoping to give some direction and some answers for in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, you can support Back to the Bible Canada and Truth in Life today by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth in Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth in Life Today.